Welcome to the Vision for the Valley podcast. I am your host, Joseph Velarde. In this podcast, we will discover the gym that is the Lehigh Valley and learn from people from all walks of life. Well, welcome to the Vision for the Valley podcast. I'm so excited to be joined by my good friend, one of the funniest men I know. I, I personally think that he deserves that a characterization. Uh, coach Matt Utesh, who I've known since 2012, he's the coach of uh, track and field at Lehigh University. And actually, this idea of a podcast came about in part because he joined our staff team in February to do a training with with the staff here at Riverbend. And through that conversation, Pastor Chris leaned over and said, this would be a great podcast. And he and I said, you know what? You're right. This would be a great podcast. And this started that whole concept that we now call the Vision for the Valley podcast. And just to remind you, the Vision for the po- Valley podcast is really about us saying, hey, we're in and for the valley to highlight different people and things that are going on here in the valley and to connect you with what's happening here. So Matt, welcome to the Vision for the Valley podcast. It's it's great to be here. Um, Hopefully I can live up to the billing of the funniest man you know. (laughs) Probably not going to happen. I'll I'll give it a try. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself, Matt. I was born in Colorado um, more years ago than I'd like to to share, but... um, we lived in the same house that my, my parents purchased when they moved from Iowa. And then uh, when I was in fifth grade, they bought another house in Aurora. And we moved. So from between fifth grade and sixth grade, I, I switched schools, all new friends, you know, kind of a tough time. But mm-hmm. it was a it was a, sort of a transitional moment anyway because I was going from elementary school into middle school. So in some ways it was, it was all the same. Then um, – Started into high school, started pole vaulting, which is a kind of a funny story in itself. My friend walked around the corner and had a cast on, and his mom was a an artist, and she had drawn a pole vaulter on the cast and said, and so, "So when he when people ask him how he broke his arm, he would just hold up the cast and show them the picture." And and I said, "That is so cool! I want to try that," <laughs> which <laughs> you know kind of <laughs> kind of tells a little bit about me, <laughs> at least about my youth. I'm I'm now trying to stay safe and not be injured all the time, but. Started pole vaulting, did that for all through college, and when I left, when I was preparing to leave college, I was a, I was a philosophy religion major, and so as I was preparing to leave, I, I sort of realized that track was going to be over, and there was really only two things that I loved talking about and doing, and that was you know sort of talking about Jesus and and then pole vaulting and, and being involved in track. So. Um, I think like a lot of Christians, I, I just kept praying for, you know, a, a brick to fall on my head and know exactly what, you know, and it should say, the brick should say, be a coach or be a youth pastor. <laughs> uh, and I didn't, um, so I actually became both. I, I, my first job was at Western State College in Gunnison, Colorado, and and I was a discus coach and a pole vault coach, and which is a, the weirdest combination of all time. Um, and then I... Uh, uh, Moved on from there, and and I was also working as a youth pastor uh, in 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 Gunnison, and then I left there and went to Kansas after one year, and I was a youth pastor and a track coach at Kansas, and then I, I sort of realized that God was telling me, really obviously telling me, just you know I'm not the brightest crayon in the box, <laughs> and so um, God was telling me, look, you do whatever you want to do, whatever you whatever makes you the happiest, but do it unto unto the Lord, do it for me. And so I, I became a, a, 
full-time track coach. Actually, I lost my job at that point. (laughs) (laughs) I had to leave Kansas, but I I knew I wanted to be a a track coach after that time in Kansas. And I I coached my high school team for a little while, my high school coach's team for a little while. He had moved to a different school and I went and worked with him. And then um, sort of things really started to fall in place. I got a job at Bucknell. Um, I met my wife we met and married a year to the day we met actually the day we met one year later we got married which is kind of a neat story Hmm. um she joined me in coaching she was already coaching but we decided to start uh making that life together we ended up uh working at she was at millersville university i was at lafayette we were driving from reading the the athletic director and the head coach from lehigh said you know, what are you guys doing? You're doing this long drive and why don't you come to Lehigh and, mm-hmm. and work at Lehigh and you can both work here. And so that was 20, that was 22 years ago. And wow. now we're hmm. in the Valley for 22 years and, and it's actually the Valley is better than it's ever been. I think hmm. it's a great place. That's all. Awesome. What, what do you actually enjoy about the Valley? Uh, well, <laughs> the food, <laughs> I think, I think the it's, it's, because it's kind of become a bedroom community for New York. There's a lot of people here who really appreciate uh, some fine dining, and yeah. and there's just so, such a variety. And then also, you're you're. They used to say there's nothing here, but you're close to everything. Hmm. But now there's a lot here, and we're close to everything. So, <laughs> New York, you know, New York and Philadelphia, and the history of the Valley. Just yeah. where, you know, the Liberty Bell was stored here and hmm. kept, and um, you know, so many historical dignitaries have come through and I like learning about that kind of stuff too. So, and then also sort of the, this unique, you know, Bethlehem steel is such a unique place because it, it, it's really just a factory, Hmm. but it built the whole fabric of our country. Mm. And so it has this sort of one step away from history (laughs) that is so, it's so intriguing. And to know the people that just really laid down their lives to work there and to make time for their, you know, make, make their family and, and come here from far away. It's, it's a, Mm. it's a really an um, amazing American story that we miss a lot. I think a lot of people miss it. Mm. Yeah, that's really, I think that's so true too. Like I think when you study, you know, the historical parts of the Valley and specifically Bethlehem still, it's so interesting to watch how that, even transpired, you know, how, you know, from like the 1800s on, you know, wow. It's just amazing how much history it actually covers in in that span and the people who are involved in that and even how that has changed a lot of this area, but even our country as a whole. whole country. I think sometimes that's easy to to miss. But but by the way, not to switch from the, the Bethlehem Steel subject, I wanted to ask you, what is your favorite place to eat in the Valley? Do you have a favorite place? Wow. Since you mentioned food, um, there's a lot of them. Tapas is pretty good. Okay, I like to go All to right. Tapas, and so free plug for Tapas. You know, <laughs> go down there. You have the have this a, podcast is sponsored by <laughs> yeah, Tapas, tapas <laughs> on Main. <laughs> yeah, Tapas is pretty good. That's great, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, so tell us a little bit back to track and field and, and Lehigh. What has the journey been of building the Lehigh track and field program? Well, it has been um, it's been really unique, I think, and not at all what I expected. Um, it started out with, as I said, just my wife and I, Deb, and she was working with all the distance kids, and I was working with all the 
the kids that don't run distance, basically. So 800 meters and, and down to the 60 meters indoors and all the field events. And my, my specialty would be in the field events. So we've, you know, and Deb's obviously her specialty is in distance. So we had a good balance. Um, we had some graduate assistants and things like that 20 years ago, but no full-time help. And it felt a lot like being out in the, in the middle of an, in the ocean or, or one of the great lakes, maybe (laughs) (laughs) out there in the middle, uh, with a couple of oars and just the two of us just rowing along. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we had the athletic department, um, but at that time, Lehigh's athletic department was very underdeveloped. Mm-hmm. And so fast forward to today, and now we have, you know, we have four full-time staff members. We have a couple of part-time staff people. We have some graduate assistant or volunteer-type coaches. And we have Flight 45, which is a leadership academy that is, mm-hmm. that's growing through Lehigh. We had our facilities have changed and gotten bigger and that stuff doesn't just it doesn't just happen Mm. um you know that's a lot of work that we have to do we we host this cross-country meet called the paul short run and it's it was i remember very distinctly sitting on the floor of our our little two-bedroom house uh in fountain hill and deb and i finished packing all these packets that, that have to go out to the to each coach that that comes to the meet and there were there were 30 packets and we were afraid of how you know how are we going to be able to mm. manage 30 teams all coming to run on our course and and then last year we had 300 teams and we had on That's top of that we had <laughs> we had uh about 180 high school teams so there's over there's like 6000 entries into this mm. thing and so it's just grown you know it's just gotten it's gotten bigger and better and well, i hope better it's gotten bigger <laughs> yeah. and i hope it's better it seems like it is people keep wanting to come back and so it, it we've actually built it out of out of our own hands we used to be able to control it and handle it and and manage it and we built it right out of right to where we can't control it where it mm. takes a committee of people to help us and our facilities guys and um so it's just grown and that's kind of how the program is it's it's gotten to the place where I mean we have 120 team members now, wow. where we had hmm. we had maybe 60 when I, when I started. Hmm. So it is it's it's been quite a, an amazing view. Yeah, I was gonna it. I was gonna ask you about the facilities part of it because I remember us uh, talking about this and you showed me uh, the the new parts of the facility and even some of the funds that you had to, to raise. Can you can you remind me of, of how much that that fund was that you had to raise to to do some of the expansions on the track and to modify and, and adapt and adjust and all those things? Sure, we're talking specifically about the outdoor track. Yeah. Um, but I would I would I like to tell people that I raised all that money myself. But well, <laughs> but no, of course that did not not happen. It but was, you were a big part of that. You know, uh, you were I was big, a part of it. Yeah, and, you were. I remember us talking about that because I was really impressed. With just even your ability to generate uh, partnership in that endeavor, you know, yeah. and people joining in on that, so I just think that's interesting. Yeah. So it was a one point three million dollar improvement, and they built a huge building with storage and bathrooms and press box. 
um, a nice pavilion, like a picnic pavilion. When you when you go to track meets, you don't necessarily go like go to a basketball game where you go and find your seat and sit in that seat for an hour and a half and and or jump up. In your case, Joe, jump up out of the seat a lot and <laughs> scream right. at people. Um, you kind of go more like you go to NASCAR where you're going to go there and be there all day. So we built this big picnic pavilion to go hmm. with it and an award stand and some new fence all the way around it. So it, it was a it's a it's a huge. Plus, and actually, kind of don't remember remember how we had practice there before when it was just a big slab of rubber out in the middle of the field. So, um, it's it's really pretty amazing. And our alumni stepped up, and and yeah. they're the ones who really did it. Yeah, and I was going to ask you too about this leadership academy piece. Tell us a little bit about that. Like, what is involved in that, and what do you guys do? Yeah, with so the leadership, leadership so academy. Probably fifteen years ago, maybe it was. Yeah, it's probably fifteen to eighteen years ago. Our athletic director had had a vision to to well he's always had the vision that we do more than win championships like our job isn't necessarily to just go win championships and and I'm not talking about track and film I'm talking about the entire athletic department hmm. our job is to use athletics to educate kids on what life's going to be like and equip them for life after college which seems today more important than than ever before so so our athletic director, I think, is a real visionary in seeing that. So he sat us all down and said, what are, you know, just sort of flood me with words of what you want your athletes to look like after they're, after, when they're out of here, when they're graduated. And, you know, I think we ended up having 200 different descriptive words of things we would covet for our athletes to have when they, when they left Lehigh. And... We ended up with five, um, five pillars that we sort of built the athletic department on, and you know, self-awareness, integrity, competitiveness, team first, um, and toughness are the are the five pillars. And even in the recruiting process today, we talk about those five pillars and we apply them to Lehigh track and field and what it means to be tough as a track athlete because it's a little bit different to be tough as a track athlete than it is to be a football player. Hmm. Uh, And so we apply it to that. But then we also say, look, toughness is a thing you're going to need with your family. If your team, your team first attitude is your family, you're going to have, there's some tough stuff that's going to, that's going to come along and Hmm. you've got to be prepared for that. You got to be tough. You got to be able to endure some real hardships um, so we talk about toughness. We talk about self-aware- self-awareness and integrity are my two favorites because I think everything else kind of grows out of those two, and probably self-awareness is the first one. So we talk about academics a lot because Lehigh is a pretty selective academic institution. So self-awareness, if you're self-aware, you you realize that maybe you didn't prepare for that test the way you should have, or you didn't prepare even for practice the way you should have. And, and the kid who's self-aware or the person who's self-aware can admit that and know it. And, and that person then also has a lot of integrity. <laughs> you know, if they can look at themselves and go, this isn't exactly what I thought I would be doing right mm-hmm. now. Uh, you know, I thought I would have been farther along. Well, today, when someone doesn't really get the result that they want, they instantly find someone else to blame. Hmm. And it, and it goes, it's, it runs rampant. Um, so what we're trying to do is say, it, it's okay if 
if you're a victim, we, we want to believe that, we understand it, we want to pursue and make sure that you're not a victim. Hmm. But while that's going on, you need to look at what's going on with you. Are, have you done everything you're supposed to do? Are you prepared? Are you, hmm. you know, are you self-aware? Do you have integrity about what's actually happening to you? So uh, the Flight 45 has been a, a real p- great platform for us to build, build out of. That's really cool. So I wanted to ask you, how do you go about teaching these values? How does that play out within your athletics? It's, it's such a natural thing because failure is part of athletics. Yeah. And, you know, self-awareness is a part of athletics too. And, and when I started coaching, we had to have, we had to have uh, you know, video day where we brought out this giant video camera that sat on your shoulder and we filmed and then we had to have video you know, the moment we could go watch video. So we had it, got into a room and had a VCR and, you know, played this VCR tape on a TV and watched, you know, and now we just pull out the iPad and you look at it and you go, you know, I'm telling you to keep your knees high uh, as you run down the runway. You're telling me that you are doing it, but, you know, let's go to the tape. You know, let's, let's, let's <laughs> the tape doesn't the, lie, right? Yeah, let's look at the video. Do What do you think now? Oh, wow, I, I really thought I was. And I go, yeah, well, that's why I was told you you weren't, you know. So um, so it's, it is really important to, to, you know, sort of give that kind of feedback right away, but also to have integrity as we give that feedback. Hmm. Um, and Flight 45 gives us a language that we can use, and not just that we use on our team, but our team can talk to other teams and help them solve problems that they have because of, of this common language that we have. It's really cool. So this leads me to, to really uh, talk to you about or ask you about when we had you here in February, you spoke a lot about the why behind what it is you do. So can you elaborate and communicate with us about why you do what it is you do? Well, the, you know, go back to the, the story of how I decided to become a coach. And, and that's my why I, I'm, doing this uh, unto the Lord. Hmm. And I think a lot of people miss that. I think it's, I think the common worker, and I I consider myself amongst that group, um, you know, people who are just doing their job should think about it maybe a little differently and think that they are doing it unto the Lord. They're not necessarily doing it for their boss or their union or whatever they work for. They're doing it for the Lord. And if they do that, your job is a ministry. Hmm. And, and that's how I look at my job. It's a ministry. And, um, you know, kudos to you, Joe Velarde, because ministry is hard. <laughs> you know, ministry is really tough. And, and honestly, a lot of people, I think a lot of people show up on Sunday and don't want to be ministered to, hmm. you know, and so leadership is really tough. It's, it's really hard to deal with. And uh, people think they want to be ministered to. They need to be ministered to, but they don't necessarily always like what, what they hear. Mm. And so leaders today, I think, are really under attack. Mm. Um, mm. So it's a, it's a, it might be the hardest time in history to be a leader. And mm. I, th- I think I really deviated from your question. But. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's <laughs> all right, man. Well, I wanted to, I, I think I wanted to, I wanted to, to really even uh, hone in a bit on what you said as far as this vocation and doing it as unto the Lord. And you know me well, but a lot of people may not know my, my personal position on, on vocation is that all vocations are, are ministry. So we, we don't have a hierarchy 
in our, our context at, at Riverbend where we say, hey, I'm a pastor, so my job's more spiritual than your job. It's just a different job. And we have different spheres of influence and in, in the way that uh, we're going to be set up and, and really leveraging that platform that God's given us to impact others. And I know for you, one of the things that is of value to you and Deb is, yes, you want to win. You know, you want Absolutely. to be successful yeah. and you, you know, it's one of the, the parts of the job for you, obviously. But I know for you, it's bigger than that. It's really about influencing the next generation and not just helping them to win an event, but to win at life as well. And so could you just speak into really some of the intentional things that you and Deb have done to really um, create a culture within the track and field program that allows and helps uh, the student athletes to be set up, not just to win in in the competitions, but to win at life as well. Well, we've, we talk about our team as a family all the time. It's the Lehigh track and field family. And to, I want to just qualify that right off the bat because every family, even, even, leave it to Beaver's family. They're, they're all dysfunctional. Families are dysfunctional. Um, and there's no, there's no two ways about it, but they overcome the dysfunctionality because they love each other. Mm. And, and I think there's been some kids at Lehigh who, who don't feel loved. They, they come to us after they've, they've been with their parents and their family and they don't feel loved. Mm. And that's one of the things that we, that we try to just really, promote is that we just care about we care about kids that's why we're doing what we're doing and um that can end up being really hard sometimes and sometimes it means you know trips to the hospital we've we've been we've been in the hospital a whole bunch of times with kids college kids you can imagine just stuff that happens in the dorm and and you know crazy just crazy activities that happen and and kids get hurt or uh, maybe they drink a little too much or something like that, and we're there, and we get there oftentimes before their parents, and just explain to them that hey, you know everybody, everybody screws up, and you're mm-hmm. you're you're a good, you're still you're still all right, you're you're doing all right, you're doing okay, and mm-hmm. um, we just try to meet them where they are, and that's I think that's maybe that's the biggest maybe the biggest problem with the church today is that there's the church is saying hey come on come on in come on in we want you here come in come in. And what they should be doing is going out and meeting people where they are. Hmm. Um, and that's kind of what we try to do is, we re, you know, obviously we're recruiting specific people, but they, they are all in different places. And so we want to meet them where they are. And that, you know, how does that look on a day-to-day basis? Sometimes it's, it's just meeting a kid for coffee. Sometimes it's, it's asking them about stuff that doesn't have anything to do with track. Um, you know how's how's the family? What's that like? What's it look like in your in your house? Um, are you excited to be going home for vacation, or are hmm. you sort of dreading that? You know, um, most of the time people are excited. Just <laughs> you know, they, they don't usually dread it. But um, then then there's a whole bunch of very real challenges that that college presents. We're we're so we're we're really in a unique place, and and I sort of use this javelin. Hopefully, everybody can sort of picture this in their mind in the javelin you run down this runway and and then you throw the thing as hard as you can right and 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 there's a certain technique to it and everything but i think there's some people and maybe where the sort of the church as a whole is 
some people stand out in the field and wait for the javelin to get close to them, and and then they try to change its direction, and and the javelin would then be a metaphor for the kid's life, right? They're on this launching pad, mm. and people are standing out in the field going, well, when you get out here, when you get out into the real world, then we'll sort of try to change your direction and get you going on the right path. Mm. But Deb and I look at it like we get to stand on the on the runway, which mm. is sort of the launching pad, and rather than change the flight of this javelin by a few feet out in the field, we just have to touch the end of it, just touch the, the tail of the javelin, and it, it could change radically. It mm. goes meters, yards farther because we're at the launching point mm. when, when kids are ready to jump out into the, into the real world. And so that's what we're trying to do. We want to try to touch their lives in a way that maybe it changes it radically and maybe it just reaffirms all the good stuff that has happened up to that point. Hmm. And I've, I've watched you do that up close. Uh, you know, there are times I'll be at the Starbucks and I'll notice that you're there <clears throat> and there's a group of students with you. And I just really appreciate the intentionality, whether it's outside of what you do with track and field, you know, when they're practicing or the events uh, to really spend time with them, to hear their stories, you know, also to invite them to what we're doing here as a church and as a community, as you're a big part of our, our community here. But I've, I've watched how you're uh, leveraging your call, your vocation has really impacted people. You know, I just was on a, uh, a phone call yesterday with a, a good friend of both of ours, Amanda Youngblood, uh, you know, a student uh, that, you know, came through that program and, and then was a coach this year and, just even to hear where she's going and what's happening in her life, uh, it's encouraging to, to see. But I know that a lot of that is because of the influence that you and Deb have had on her and the way you've walked with her through that. And so I just, I really, you know, just commend you for that because it's, it's, a, it's a work that oftentimes isn't seen or noticed because it's so done behind the scenes. It's not necessarily in a public way, but it's that type of work that actually makes such a difference and an impact because you're making a deposit in someone's life and you're investing in them. And I love how you use humor to help do that with them as well. I know I said early on that you're a really funny guy, um, but I really think that even helps them to connect in to some serious parts because a lot of times humor uh, really disarms people and allows them to come in. So let me ask you, how do you use humor in your interactions with the students? And how, how do you go about bringing laughter into some of the mundane parts of life as well? I, I think probably by mistake. It's, <laughs> just, it's just a mistake. I say something and I look foolish. And um, honestly, I'm, that's a great question. I, I don't know how I do it. I think it's a, I think it's just a gift that God gave me. Yeah. And, um, I, th- I don't think I'm thinking of anything radically different than anybody else thinks, but maybe I'm just brave enough to say it. I don't, I don't know. And then, you know, we were talking a little earlier, maybe it's just timing. I, you know, yeah. I just got a little timing and say some funny stuff, but um, it can get you into trouble too. <laughs> I have to say, I, I've had to apologize many times. That makes two of us. So, so yeah. if, that, if that makes you feel any better. But so, yeah, I think that that's, you know, as you, as you think about that and working with people, I think there's something about uh, laughter and joy uh, that allows others in. And so while you are talking about the heaviness of life uh, and having those types of conversations, I think finding ways, you know, 
not being unnatural, be yourself with it. But I think being able to to tell a joke or to say something that, you know, and I know not everybody's going to be like Matt and sometimes the filter's not on, you know? And so (laughs) I think, I think that's what gets both of us in trouble. So actually I think you and I have these amazing filters, but every once in a while something slips through. (laughs) That's right. That's right. That's that's probably a good way to say it. It's actually an amazing filter. (laughs) Sometimes stuff just makes it through. Well, as as we talk about just your why behind your your what, I, I think it's really important for all of us to be able to examine that in our own lives. Like why is it you do what you do? You know, and really why speaks to the motivation. What is motivating you? What's driving you? And that goes from your vocation uh, to really how you go about your life outside of work, uh, the way you relate to others. Like what, what, what is it that uh, you're doing and, and why are you doing what, what it is you're doing? And that brings clarity. And I know that we've talked a lot about that in our leadership. And when you came in in February, you spoke about the fact that that influences how you go about Leading, so I wanted to ask you, uh, what has been being over this program, the track and field program, taught you about leadership? The probably the number one thing that it's taught me about leadership is leadership. Leadership is absolutely service, hmm. and I don't think most people realize that. I think most people think leadership is uh, sort of this cavalier. Uh, everybody, everybody, just come with me, and we're gonna, you know, we'll go take over the world or whatever we're trying to do. And um, I suppose that that works to some degree. There's, there's, there've been great, you know, great leaders by definition. In other words, lots of people follow them uh, that are that are not good people and they're not serving. But most of those people are leading out of fear, and and that ultimately always fails. Um, but I think if you look at the example that Jesus gave, he, he served unto death Hmm. and whether you, whether you believe and agree with who the man of Jesus was or not, does it, doesn't really matter. You know, he, he has created a, a followership that is unmatched. It's unrivaled by anyone in the world ever. And and ever will be, and and that's a at the very least, leaders should look at that and go, well, what did he do that was so good? And it's it's pretty astounding what he did, uh, and it's incredibly simple. He he went to people and he said, "Come with me." Hmm. He he didn't say, "Hey, I got a really great business plan. Look at all the stuff I got going." He just he just walked to them and said, "You know, wh- why don't you come with me?" And the men that came with him, he he poured himself into, and and in in some of our eyes, I guess we all look at them and go, "Wow, those are amazing, great guys." But you know what they really did? They just followed him. <laughs> yeah. Pretty simple. They're just like, "Okay, I'll do that," <laughs> you know. And so I think maybe sometimes we over overanalyze hmm. leadership and leadership roles. It's it's pretty simple. Serve the people that are in front of you. And serve them as far and wide and deep as you possibly can, and you're going to be a pretty good leader. Hmm. Yeah, I was going to ask you what what are some of the uh, the books or resources that you've you know used to help you uh, to determine how to be a better leader? What are some of those types of things 
that you you know have have looked to? Um, we have we have a pretty extensive leadership library at at Lehigh because of the of yeah. Flight Forty Five, um, and so there's there's quite a few different different books around. There's there's one called uh, What Drives Winning that I that I really have liked lately because it it speaks about leadership and and expectations and things like that in a in a athletic way. So that hits me. Hmm. Uh, pretty easily. And then, um, you have to help me with his name. He writes a book every month about leadership. Um, John Maxwell, John Maxwell. I want to, I want to call him Max really badly. I was like, Max, Max Maxwell. I mean, if you can't, if you can't find a book that Maxwell has written about leadership that hits you where you are, you're not trying. <laughs> you know, he, he literally writes a book every month and, you know, something else comes out and it's a different scenario, different situation. And so he has, he has some great stuff that, hmm. that we've looked at. That's really cool. Cause I, I know as we talked about this too, we said that every person within a leadership or, you know, within the, the org chart, we'll use that language within um, their part in it can actually achieve leadership status <clears throat> because everybody actually can serve and because everybody can serve no matter where you are whether you're on the top of the chart or the bottom of the chart we can all serve and then each person within that organization has such a vital role and you've said that to me and you mentioned this a little bit early on in this interview where you, you talk about the people who do the, the maintenance you know for the, the track and field um, you know, the, the athletic department and the, the vital role that they have, you know, and, and the different coaches and uh, the volunteer coaches and, and the people on the administrative level, each one of those roles has the opportunity to achieve uh, leadership because leadership really is about serving. And as Jesus would say, to be great and to pursue greatness, he really redefined it. He said that greatness comes when you are able to serve people well when you're not so enamored with yourself or so passive that you're afraid actually to put yourself out because a lot of times people have what's called false humility where it's like oh i'm i'm so i have nothing to offer and it sounds really great <laughs> but it's another form of selfishness as tim keller talks about where, where it's really it's just this false humility right it's just another way to self-protect for the, the risk of failing or making mistakes, but really to say, hey, how can I help? How can I add value? How can I be a person who looks to lift others up and to do what I'm doing the best way possible in order to enhance the roles of others? Because we're a team. And even though we have different roles within that, we can all serve. And so as you, as you were talking about serving, I wanted to, to just follow up with you on really as you think about those different people within the organization, how would you say that they're all leading? Like, how did, how would you describe that? Well, so the, the professionals in the, in the athletic department, whether they be facility people or administrators, all, they're all serving and they're, they're in a lot of ways, just providing support hmm. for me to do and Deb to do what, what it is that we're doing just to, you know, to coach the team. And then certainly our alumni who are, you know, sort of a, I suppose a little bit of an afterthought or an unseen group of people from, right. from the public's view, you know, those, those people are, are putting up their treasure and their time to make things happen 
for the, the folks that are on the team right now. And so there's some, you know, some suffering going on from all those people because they're, they're committing uh, an awful lot to, to the process to make it mm. uh, because they believe in what the athletic department's doing. And, and I think that's a really unique, a unique thing about Lehigh is that um, we've been talking about service for a long time and trying to train the, the freshmen to the seniors and sometimes fifth-year seniors to realize that exactly what you said, you know, when you serve for, for real, it, it's, it's not that glamorous. It's, it's, hmm. not, it's, it's, a pretty hard, it's a pretty hard task to make sure that you don't have false humility and that you're not just taking credit for what all your workers have done and, and sitting on your laurels of what things you've done in the past. And, hmm. um, so, you know, I, I've always sort of had this attitude that the guy who has the most keys is the guy who you need to try to take care of the most because he can get you into any building and, <laughs> and open doors for you that other people can't open. And, you know, if a lot of people would say, hey, you know, the most important person in the athletic department is the athletic director. And, you know, they're, they're in, in a lot of ways, they're, they're totally right about that. But, you know, if he locks his keys in his car – the janitor's going to be able to get into his office and open, you know. <laughs> so what society looks at the lowest, you know, oh, my gosh, is it just a janitor? Well, just a janitor has access to everything all the time. Mm. Um, and so, like you said, everyone, you know, is is equally valuable. They're just doing a different job. And so we have to show our the kids on the team what their job is. How do they how, – mm. how do you walk into a program as a freshman – or really a extended high school senior. I mean, that's all you are really, right? Is just, yeah. you know, a couple months out of high school. How do you compete at a division 1 level? How do you serve at a division 1 level? What can you do? How can you serve uh someone who's a, a 22-year-old fifth-year senior? Hmm. How do you bring value to what their experience is? And it's a, such a strange dynamic because the distance between the, those two distance runners, you know, <laughs> you know, uh, a senior, a fifth year senior, and a first semester freshman, they have nothing in common. They're so <laughs> far apart. You know, yeah. the incoming freshman is wide eyed and excited about what might happen, and the senior is is totally looking into the next chapter of their life and concerned about, you know, am I gonna, am I moving home to the basement of mom and dad's house, yeah. or am I? Moving into New York City to, mm-hmm. you know, am I going to get a job? Do I have benefits? Do I have, what's my, you know, what's my future like? So it's, it is a unique dynamic, but it is a dynamic, dynamic that happens in industry all the time. Yeah. You know, people are coming in mm-hmm. and what's your, what's your value added? What do you, what can you bring? And the, and the answer is whatever you need. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what do you need me to do? If you need me to do something, I'm willing to do it. There's no job that I am above doing, mm-hmm. you know? So you know, consequently, we have this brand new building, and it's great out at the track to have it. But there's times when, you know, there's nobody there to clean the bathroom. So guess who's in there doing that? You know, that's a, that's my it's my responsibility. Hmm. Um, so I get it done. And you know, sometimes sometimes my awesome staff steps up and they do it, and I'm just like, you didn't have to do that. I would do it. And they're like, you're the head coach. You don't have to do that. I'm like, I'm the head coach, and so I do have to do it. Hmm. So. Um, I just try not to ask anybody to do stuff that I wouldn't do myself. 
Yeah. It's great when they do it, by the way. <laughs> when they do it on their own, it's awesome. <laughs> well, there, there's power like an initiative, right? Like, you know, whether it's, you know, you're the leader and you are leading the way through taking initiative on those things and even modeling, uh, whether it's cleaning the bathrooms or even talking to the janitors. I, one of the things I, I like to do, and part of this is my personality and your personality as well. We're pretty outgoing guys. <clears throat> when I'm talking to people at like the Target or the the Weiss grocery store in our area and the cashiers, I just love to check in with how's your day going. I love to, to talk with them about as much as they're willing to not now, not everybody right. <laughs> is warm and fuzzy on those kind of conversations. They're a little like, all right, like let's kind of keep this thing moving, you know, or it's not, better if, if I don't have to answer that. That's question. right. That's right. And, <laughs> but the, the, the point of why I do that and I know why you as well is to signify, Hey, I, I see you. And what you do matters, and I appreciate what you do. When I'm at the gym, I like to go out of my way to tell the GM and the operations manager, hey, I really appreciate the job that you guys are doing. And I, and I purposely go to them and talk with them because – and they're, they're usually like, oh, did something happen? They're, they're preparing. Right. They're like – they're uh, uh, preparing for impact, right? <laughs> they're, right. They're, they're ready for me to say something negative because they always hear about how bad the pool is because there's a pool in our area, and they're like, you know, everybody's complaining about the pool. It's not working. And, and, and I'm one of the lone guys, and this is not about me, but it's the principle of, Hey, let's just notice what's going on. Let's catch people doing some, some good things. Let's affirm that their work matters and that they have value and that they have significance no matter where they are within the, the org chart. And I think it's really important, even as you're considering this for your own life, we can all serve we can all take initiative. We can all aspire for greatness because we can do those things. So what would it look like to really add value through what you do, but also what you say, how you encourage, how you take initiative? And initiative is one of those things that is oftentimes uh, so undervalued and underappreciated, but it's so necessary because a lot of times we're waiting for someone to tell us or somebody else to do it. And if we're waiting for somebody else to do it, that usually means it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. But if we take initiative, knowing that this would really serve the people around us, serve even our boss, or as if you're a boss, that you would serve those who you're leading, wow, it, it really makes a difference. And it helps to, to bring about this culture of saying, hey, we're in it together. This isn't just about me getting something from you. I see you and I appreciate the work that you're doing and we're in it together, and we're on this journey together. So as we think about leadership, is there anything you would add to it, your definition of leadership? I know you talked a lot about serving. Is there anything else you'd like to say about well, that? Well, I actually have I have two quick stories for you that Give them to me. maybe answer your question and maybe don't, but I That's think they're, they're applicable, put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm really proud of my daughter, as most fathers are, and she has decided to go on this campaign of – uh, whenever she sees someone on the street or, uh, you know, out in public or whatever, and uh, they have nice fingernails or they have a d- dress on or they have, you know, some anything that catches her attention where, where she's like, oh, that's kind of cool. She has decided that she's just going to tell them that. Nice. And yeah, yeah. It, it and it is nice, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's like the nicest thing ever because you don't have you don't have to go out on any kind of limb at all. All you're doing is saying, well, that thing you chose today is awesome. That's great. And, you know, like talking to the cash register, it's, it's, it's not any kind of deep conversation that's going to get, uh, 
you know, no one's going to get saved from it or anything like that. <laughs> but it, it is, a, it's just a chance to take one half step deeper and say, I see you, you know, mm. you're, you're, what you've done has value and I like, I like what it is. And then, and so again, I'm, I'm proud of my daughter. Okay. Um, you should be. We're and, proud of you, Sid. Yeah, Sid, we're proud of you. <laughs> Sid the kid, come on now. You heard that uh, public on, in, you know, it's out in the world now, so I'm <laughs> proud of you. Um, the other one, it, it may even be a story you told me, but I think I read it somewhere. So, but um, mechanics are, they're the guys that make the world go around, right? Hmm. So I like to go into my mechanic and just say, you know, as he hands me, a bill for a couple thousand dollars <laughs> and I'm, I'm, it's, it's hurting my wallet. It's hurting my heart a little bit. I like to just say, thank you so much for making my family be safe. Hmm. You know, you're, you're not just fixing my car. You're, you're actually, we're, you know, we're going to go on a, go on a trip or we're going to work every day and you make it possible for me to get to work every day because, because hmm. you take care of my car. And I, I have no idea whether you're doing it the right way <laughs> or not, but but honestly, I get to work every day. I, I get to go on vacation with my family. And you know, last summer, we drove across uh, the country to Colorado to visit my parents. And we took the car in. And I told the mechanic, I was like, look, you always take care of me. Yeah, I know you always do. And, but we're going on this long trip. And can you just take one extra look at it? Would, you, would that be all right? He was like, you always, you always thank me. You always are kind. You send business our way. It, it is no problem. I, I, I always go over your car again, but mm. absolutely. I'm going to make yeah. sure that you guys are going to make it. You're going to be safe, mm. and it's, the car's going to make it out there. Mm. And so I got the list of all the stuff they looked over, and I was just like, wow, they this is way more than what they usually do, and they didn't charge me for it or anything. And I think it's just because I recognized that they I didn't do it I didn't do it for myself. I, I really wanted to do it for him, you know, just to say, look, you know, thanks for and recognize what he actually does. But but he went above and beyond because I just said thank you. I said, "Wow, your your mm-hmm. job is bigger. You know, your job is bigger than just changing my oil, right? You know, and because yeah. I know it. So I think people, I think people need to hear that. Hmm. It's easy to forget, right? It's easy to forget that what you're doing has significance, and so we have to be reminded. Like we all need to be reminded. Sure. You know, like, and and when you pay for it, yeah. I think there's a culture today of people <laughs> going. You know, I paid for this, so my expectation is perfection. Well, I don't know if you guys have seen the car I drive, but it's not. <laughs> I'm, I can't get perfection back from, <laughs> you know, a $50 oil change. It's <laughs> so So, you know, I don't think most people should expect that. But, but we, uh, we do. We get into this expectation of what people should do for us. And yeah, well, I was going to ask you, too, like when you, when you think about uh, leadership and you think about how that works, together with others. I know when we talked before, you, you talk about the danger of things like, um, you know, navigating transitions, silos, turf wars, and the different people within said uh, leadership pipelines, if we're going to use that language, um, visionaries, managers, and tech technicians, and then, then just the, the Joshua problems. Can, can you kind of really elaborate a little bit on that? I know I just gave you a lot there, but yeah. Well, I'll, I'll just be able to talk for a long time. Yeah, go ahead, man. <laughs> go for it. Um, so the there, there's th- there's sort of three main char- three main role players in any organization, and you know visionaries 
I've actually, I, I feel like I've come from, uh, from the bottom and worked my way up and, and it's been a, it's been a sort of a crazy ride. So I started out as a technician, right? And, and I just was the guy who did things And my, my job interview when I was at Kansas, they said, what do you think your job is to, as a assistant coach? And my answer was, I just need to make your job easier. So whatever you need me to do is what I'm going to do. And if that's, you know, picking up your dry cleaning or dropping your kids off at daycare or babysitting, <laughs> what, you know, whatever it is, it doesn't have to do with coaching. My job, I'm a technician. I just get stuff done. And, um, and then as we started to get some more assistant coaches and a bigger team and relied on captains to do more and different, different tasks, I became more of a manager where I, I did less of the technical work of, you know, of, or maybe, maybe you would call it busy work. I don't, I don't know, but, um, I did less of that and I was checking to make sure those things were done in, mm-hmm. in different places. And then now as a, as a visionary, we talked about the building at, at, Lehigh at the outdoor track, you know, it, it took a lot of years for me to say, you know, we, what do we actually need and what do we just want? And, and so we actually needed a place to store equipment. Mm-hmm. We were keeping all of our equipment in a six by 10 trailer. And now we have a 40 by 25 building with a 15 foot high ceiling in it. <laughs> and, and, uh, I, I plan for the future there. There's going to be more equipment that's going to go in there eventually. It's it's a really huge space, but we needed it. Hmm. And we didn't need lights around the track, but because we were successful and people were willing to do it, we had taken into account if there's enough money, we should put some low-level lighting in here. It's just maybe a safety issue, and we can work a little bit longer with, with – uh, the time chain, you know, like daylight savings and stuff like that. So, you know, that would be a nice thing. So there was this whole gamut that I that I had to come up with um, about sort of a vision for what we wanted this to be. And then I mm. got to cast that vision to a lot of, of our alumni, and, and they responded. Um, so I'm much more of a visionary today, and I've gone through that. However, I have uh, assistant coaches who I'm – I'm working on to become visionaries. They, I, I, my mission for them would be to go be a head coach somewhere and, you know, duplicate myself and do what they're, what I'm doing at other places. And we affect more kids and have, give them a better experience. And so a lot of times I'm encouraging them to become visionaries, hmm. but that's also my job. So, <laughs> so what you end up with is some silos. So you have people working working in with their part of the program and creating these big visions and maybe sometimes those visions don't work in with mine and so then you end up with this turf war right well that's my thing i i'm i'm working on that thing why are you why i don't need you to help me with this and it, it, you have to go back to service how how can we how can i honor your vision and make that fit in with my vision or the vision that the athletic department has for all of this and, and make sure that folks are looking at what they want and what they need and making sure that their priorities are right with that. Cause a lot of times when, when you sort of become your own visionary, what you want seems to be way more important than what you need, <laughs> you know? And so you have to, you have to organize some of that stuff and, and direct and, and it creates friction because people are invested. They're working hard and they're, 
they're trying hard and they they have a vision and they want it they want it to to grow into that so so that's sort of the visionaries and managers and technicians and how they sort of because you want to grow up from each one of them and you can't there's not always doesn't always happen smoothly so it creates turf wars creates silos and and you got to work hard to knock those things down while you're encouraging it to happen you know it's it's kind of it's a little bit strange there's a lot of give and take going on there um so um because it's a because it's a growing program we struggle with those with those kinds of Hmm. of things so how do you break down those those walls while not breaking down the person because I think that's what I'm hearing is like, Hey, we want to build up this part of who they are without, uh, you know, building up turf wars and silos. So how do you manage that tension? How do you, how do you go about doing that? Um, that's a great question. And a lot of times it feels like, uh, being in a really dark room that you've never been in with lots of furniture. <laughs> feels like you're just stumbling around, smashing your shins on stuff. <laughs> Trying not to hurt anybody else or hurt yourself. Oh, that's so um, good. But, uh, you know, honestly, I think if you have a servant's heart, those those people see that. Yeah. You know, my, I think my assistant coaches, they, they certainly know that I don't do everything right. They, they're, they'll be very happy to tell you that, no, he does not do everything right. <laughs> and I'm okay. I admit it, too. I, I don't. And sometimes I even get in the way. But um, I do think... If you ask them, they truly believe – if there's one thing they believe about me, it's that I have their best interest in mind. Hmm. And I, I, I want them to succeed. Hmm. Um, I want them to feel good about the job they're doing, but I also want them to serve. You know? So, again, it's a hard time to be a leader because you can be attacked by the very people that you're leading. <laughs> and yeah. they might not see that you have their best interest in mind or – more, more likely in today's world, you shouldn't even be thinking about my best interest. You should just be doing your job description hmm. as I wrote it. You know, <laughs> yeah. so they don't. They don't. They. I think a lot of people have a, a small view. So we gotta, we gotta give them a little bit bigger view, a bigger, uh, maybe a ten thousand foot view hmm. of everything we're trying to do, and that takes time and that takes investment, and it's it's hard to do. Yeah, but, I was. Yeah, I was going to say too with that, I think it's really about giving the bigger picture. So I think it's true that some of us are um, visionaries and we, we're inclined that way. But I think we have to make sure if we're having the heart of a, a servant and the best interest, not just of others, but of the ultimate goal of what we're trying to accomplish, that we don't let our personal visions get in the way of the ultimate vision. And there is a there is a difference and a distinction. That doesn't mean that they uh, can't work together, but there are times where you know, you know, even for you and I, we have to recognize, hey, yes, there's something that I want to see happen, but is this what's best for where we're trying to go and the people involved in said vision? Because you and I probably have a vision, an hour or something like that, right? You know? <laughs> like, and right so, here. and so, really, the the reality is like, okay. People can't keep up with that, nor can I actually follow through with this. Right. <laughs> Said all these visions. So it's looking at it and saying, hey, what's in the best interest? So when I bring people around in those conversations and we're hearing some of the things that they have, being able to be attuned and listen, but also to be bringing alignment to, hey, this is where we're going and helping to build them up because we don't want to have, as we currently have in our culture, which is a shortage 
of leaders, a servant leadership model and mindset. And, and I know you mentioned this when you were here in February, just about the Joshua principle, that one of the, 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 the failings of Joshua, one of his greatest failings, was there was no leader and this, by the way, for those who don't know who Joshua is, uh, he was the successor of Moses in the Old Testament, and and Joshua was to lead the people, you know, after Moses passed away. But after Joshua passes away, what happens, Matt? Tell us. The the country splits, the nation splits in half and and is divided and all kinds of chaos, <laughs> all kinds of problems. And why is that? There's no leader. There's no visionary. There's no one to... To, and he didn't even have people to implement any idea that he might have. He was just that was it. There was, and so uh, some people rise up and and give their vision. It's not what Moses had. It's certainly not what God had in mind for them. But they they say we think this is a good thing, and they got they rallied some support, and the nation splits, and hmm. it's it's pretty ugly. Yeah, and I think that that's really a, an important part of servant leadership is how are we uh, pouring into others so that they can lead, whether they're going to lead within your, like the Lehigh program or here at Riverbend as, as we lead the church or even outside of here, maybe they're going to go on to start their own program and to become a coach, or they're going to go to another vocation or another, or another church. You know, are we setting them up to succeed um, because when we set them up to succeed, we're actually setting ourselves up to succeed as well. And and I think that is sometimes the the, the thing that's missed. A lot of times we're like, hey, we just want to be, we don't want to say it, <laughs> but we want to be the, the tech, tacticians or, or the, the managers because that's a lot easier than being a visionary because a true visionary is someone who's going to actually pour into others and to lift them up so that they can lead others as well. But, you know, that that old proverb that says, you know, if you want to go fast, go by yourself. But if you you know if you want to make a difference, go with someone. You got to do it with other others in order for them to rise up and lead and to lead well, not just to lead because they've got their own thing they're disgruntled about. Because that's not really leadership. You know, that's right. another. You're, they're being led by fear or anger or shame or pride. Those things are not good motivators <laughs> to lead. You know, they, those those things can drive you to a good motivating uh, factor. But if those are the the end goal and that's what's driving you. Ultimately, it, it spells disaster. And so I think that's a really an important part of leadership. Did you have anything to say about that? Well, one of the things you said is a lot of times leaders will, or I heard you say, was leaders, leaders will sort of revert back and they'll, they'll go be a technician. And, and I've, it's, it's funny because I've, I've thought, what would I do if I wasn't coaching? Hmm. And there's a part of me that wants to be a landscaper, <laughs> right? And here's why. Because at the end of the day, I can look at the job I did, and I go, look, look at how good that is. I did that. Um, But if you're a visionary, you get to look at your own vision for a long time before anything happens with it. And Mm -hmm. a lot of days you you get done with work and go, well, I did nothing today. Uh, And that's that's really frustrating. And so um, I think our our nature does revert us back to – I'm just going to go do some landscaping now. You know, <laughs> it reverts you back to the technician. It, it, and and honestly, that hmm. is it's almost insulting to technicians because here's the leader of the whole organization going, man, it should be so much easier if I was just the guy doing all the work. <laughs> you know, and, and and that's just not true. I, when I was a technician, I couldn't wait to become a visionary. <laughs> 
you know, and so we have to be really careful about what we wish for, and and we it's important to to know know our role. I yeah. I do not want to go back to doing on a daily basis what my assistant coaches do. Mm. They, you know, I thank God for them all the time because mm. they move a lot of information, and yeah. I don't want to do that. Well, that's good, man. Well, I wanted to ask you too, just as you're thinking about transitions and navigating growing pains. Uh, what are some of the, the growing pains you've had to work through and how have you worked through them? Yeah, I knew you were going to ask me this. <laughs> um, it's interesting because we're going through, we're going through some growing pains right now, uh, at Lehigh and some of it is, some of it is just learning how to deal with the people, uh, the recruits that this, this group of society that's mm. moving into, the college age. And this is, uh, I don't want this to sound judgmental or anything like that, but, um, there's been some studies done on what this, how this group is collectively as a group. What are they, what are they like? And they're incredibly narcissistic. Mm -hmm. They're incredibly compassionate, but have no empathy. Mm -hmm. They, they want to have a, a cause to go after, but they don't want to invest anything into that cause. Mm. Um, and so they're very, it's a really duplicitous group. And I'll, I'll tell a story about a, a fellow coach of mine. Uh, one of the girls on his team had an injury and she felt like her ability to rehab that injury would be uh, better. She'd be better served if she just did it on her own. So she stopped coming to practice. And, and so she stopped communicating with the coach and she ends up coming uh, in the spring, coming back and saying, all right, now that that season's over, we're going to go through the summer. I'm ready to start taking on your summer training. Why don't you give me the training workouts? And he said, he said, you know, you're fine on your own all this time. So why don't you just come and try out for the team next spring? And if your training plans have worked and you've done everything you, you think you can do, then you can be on the team. And if not, then you're not on the team. And if you don't like that, then you should go talk to the head coach. So what did she do? She went to the athletic director. Hmm. She just skipped over the head coach altogether. She didn't go through the process. She didn't say, look, you know, maybe I made a mistake and I, I want to talk to the head coach and, I, and now I've talked to him and now I'd like to I, – I realize what happened, you know. The guy, the coach is really compassionate, and I'm sure that he would have said, okay, you know, you learned your lesson. Now let's get to work and let's get going and everything's gone. But but that's that's not the way this group of people works. And so that is really frustrating for me. Um, and the stuff that I'm going through right now is really frustrating because I believe I'm a servant. I believe that I'm trying to serve these people. But service means, and this is what Jesus did, much to the chagrin of the Pharisees <laughs> and every other you know, leading religious leading group, what he did was he met people where they are. Hmm. And, and I don't know where this incoming group of people is. Hmm. I have to figure out where they are, hmm. and then I have to, I have to meet them. So, so I have to come up with a new vision. I have to keep my vision for the program and where it's going, but I also have to figure out a way to meet th these this younger group of kids that's coming in where they are. And honestly, that's what the church has to do too. We got to figure out how to meet people where they are, 
those specifically those people because they are in dire need. Hmm. Maybe the most dire need of any generation we've ever had. Hmm. They just don't know how to cope. Lehi Lehi has uh more more people coming to the counseling office than they have in the in the whole history of the university. It's astounding how many people are searching, reaching, looking for I think purpose ultimately is what they're looking for and mm. they and honestly I think we all know there's only one place they're going to find it and and they might not find that at Lehigh. Well, I think that's one of the the challenges right now too and I think uh what you said is is really important. We always need to be adapting to what's going on and I think we need to be able to part of serving is to see the future, right? So there's a futuristic element to our roles. And to be able to see what's happening and where we need to, to lead people to. And one of the, the, the difficulties, I think, as I've done some research on this, is the amount that uh, smartphones and social media and streaming and the constant um, being on a screen is affecting the brain. And the addictive tendencies that it brings about, but also the insecurities that it, it brings out. Of them as well. So I'm reading this book right now. Uh, it's called uh, Digital Minim- Minimal Minimalist. Yeah, Digital Minimalist, and it's by Cal Newport. And in this book, he's a, a professor at Georgetown University. But in this book, he's just talking about how really we've set up a structure and something that once was just you checked every once in a while Facebook. They've re-engineered it so that the addictive tendencies that you get from like a slot machine, it's to drive up their revenues, right? Yeah, so Facebook, dopamine. Instagram, you know, all these, it's to drive up the revenues. But he, he's saying that when you study uh, what, what it does to people who've grown up with it their whole lives. So we're part of what we're experiencing is a generation that doesn't know life apart from smartphones. They don't know a life apart from social networks like Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, they don't text messaging constantly. They don't, they don't know life where there's like boredom and quiet and deep solitude and to be alone with your thoughts. And it's not just them. I mean, we all struggle with this, but he's talking about the the need to recapture it. And it's been a really challenging read for me to really consider for my own self. But even as I'm walking with others, how do you take something that is like a good tool that you know, it's meant to be like a, a tool. It's a tool that's in your toolbox. But if if you're not careful, the tool then becomes the thing that uses you instead of you using it. So you become the tool, right? Mm-hmm. Like you become the tool as a result. And what's really challenging, and this book talks about it, is there was no standard operating procedures once this this technology advanced so quickly. So now we're experiencing the aftermath of that. We're I mean, Leah is not the only one. No. Colleges are reporting like all-time high of of students coming in with not just an occasional thing of like depression or some some issues that come up with just being in college. Just astronomical levels of people reporting anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts, and they really do link it back to a lot of the the pieces of not knowing how to utilize these devices and the technology. And I think we need to lead differently. I think we need to lead. And it's not to say that we should get away from, by the way, I'm not saying, and neither does he, that you should get away from using technology. He's just saying, how do you go about using it in a way where it doesn't harm you? 
because he says that there's a lot of people who have um, not only the lack of solitude, but they have the illusion of relationships because they like or comment, but that's not connection. Mm -hmm. Like what I'm doing with you right now, Matt, this is connection. You're here with me. We're in the same room. I'm looking at you. You know, we, we had breakfast on Friday of, of, you know, last week and we were sharing our lives there. That is real relationship. Whereas like a text message, you know, Hey, that's all right. But that's just connecting. That's talking logistics and, and we need to get back. So even that family part of what you're talking about, I think figuring out how do we create that? Do we need to have a, a place where it's like, hey, no smartphones during this times? I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm examining it in my own life as well. But I think it's a really important thing to really uh, examine for ourselves because I think it's one thing to say, hey, this next generation or the generation that's coming in, they've got these issues. But I think we all have them to some degree. There's this low-grade anxiety that we're not willing to address in our lives that has a lot to do with what Cal Newport talks about in that book. And I think we got to model the way. I think we got to show them a new way, a different way, not just with our words, but what we go about. So, Matt, as we, we wrap up our time together, is there anything else you wanted to add about growing pains or transitions? Well, I think perseverance is, mm-hmm. is pretty important. And I also think, you know, my wife has been praying as we're going through this transition. She's been praying for the full armor of God yeah. that we, that our family, mm-hmm. you know, each day puts on the full armor of God. And, and, um, I'm sure that that's been important to every generation, um, but now I think there's some some secret attacks that mm. if we don't have the armor on, we could be in we could be in real trouble. Mm. And so, um, new attacks that are that are a little bit different than than they have been in the past, and yeah. we need to really be aware of them. And like you said, just we got to figure this out. We got to do it pretty yeah. quickly. Yeah, one, yeah, and I think perseverance is so good. One of my prayers, and I actually prayed this with you, is that Jesus would tell his disciples, hey, I'm sending you out, and I want you to be as shrewd as a viper and as gentle as a dove. And I think we need that. If we're going to lead well, we need to be as shrewd as a viper and as gentle as a dove. And a lot of times people pick one or the other. Yeah. <laughs> They're yeah. like, oh, no, just let's be shrewd, yeah. or let's just be gentle. That's what leadership is. No, no, no. Actually, Jesus said it's both. It's about being shrewd as a viper to discern, to understand, to uh, have foresight, you know, and, and insight, you know, as gentle as a dove and as shrewd as a viper. And so as we wrap up our time together, just know we're praying for you on that. And we appreciate the work that you're doing, Matt, but we would really appreciate if you could somehow get CJ McCollin on the podcast, uh, who's a Portland Trailblazer and went to Lehigh University, defeated Duke in March Madness, in case you don't have that reference point. So when can you have that happen for us? I think Jeez. next week. Next, next week? We okay. Next okay. Week. All right. I just CJ, so we can't tuned. wait to help you and have you <laughs> on the podcast. We want to highlight what's going on there. All right, man. Uh, but again, seriously, uh, Matt, thanks for being on the podcast. And as we wrap up, is there? Uh, I wanted to ask, uh, how can people connect with you and get in touch with you as well? LehighSports.com is my is where my uh, uh, information, my contact information is, and then pretty much every Sunday I'm right here at Riverbend. So come on out and listen to Joe Velarde and, and the gang. <laughs> <laughs> well, this was fun. Thanks so much, Matt, for being on. Yep, my pleasure. Thanks for joining us for the Vision for the Valley podcast. We'd love to connect with you and to hear from you. You can find us on social media at Vision for the Valley podcast, or you can email us at Vision for the Valley podcast at gmail.com. 